Shalom Mishpocha. As we come to you today with this Kadima Talk, Moshe's leadership or the leadership of Moshe, we're recording this literally on the 10th of Nisan, 2021 or 5781. So this is the day that marks the lambs being brought into Jerusalem for the Paschal sacrifice, also marking the day that Yeshua himself entered into Jerusalem, and for four days he himself was inspected and found to be faultless until his crucifixion on the 14th of Nisan. So between now for the next seven days, and you'll be hearing this a day later, these are most transformative, supernatural seven days in recorded history. From him entering into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan till his death on the crucifixion stake on the 14th of Nisan to his resurrection on the 17th of Nisan. So this is a supernatural week of the divine. The portals of heaven are open. And I pray that you have a supernatural God encounter as we come into this Passover season. But as we come to Moses, we look at that first Passover. We look at the first experience of our people being delivered from slavery in Egypt. Let's pause to consider this process. Adonai allowed our people to go through generations of slavery, some 200 plus years. And though we were in bondage, think about this, we were actually being protected from the enemies around us who would have certainly destroyed us. So this is a time uh, where God did this purposefully to A, put us in the womb of the world's only uh, superpower at that time, and to prepare us and birth us and grow us from 70 who initially went there to over 6 million men, women, and children. So that through this process, we were protected from our enemies, and we grew great into a mighty nation. God led Moshe into the wilderness to prepare and develop him as a leader. This was 80 years to prepare him for leadership. And so, as I've talked about Joshua in the past, leadership is a long-term process. First of all, as you know, that the Pharaoh was trying to murder all the young Israeli male childs because of our growth, and they feared us. So the midwives were commanded to uh, throw us into the water to drown us, to kill us. Moses' mother put him in a basket with tar. He was picked up by Pharaoh's uh, sister and was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So we've got his first 40 years where he's learning all the diplomacy and the understanding of state. He, he's learning all the internal workings of a national government. Then he takes him to the wilderness for 40 years. As soon as Moses tries to intercede for one of his people, an Egyptian guard is murdered. Moses hears, or Pharaoh hears about this. Moses flees the nation. He then spends 40 years in the wilderness learning how to survive in the desert with his father-in-law training him. So over time, the Israelites became not just a handful of families, but a massive ethnic population large enough to frighten even the Egyptians. And so Moses became the first leader, the first prime minister, the first president uh, of this full-fledged Israelite nation that was actually a theocracy. If you will, Moshe is actually operating as a judge. Adonai himself is the king. So in Exodus 1, verses 7 through 11, the descendants of Israel were fruitful. They increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew very powerful. The land became filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. He knew nothing about Joseph, but said to his people, Look, the descendants of Israel have become a people too numerous and powerful for us. Come, let us use wisdom in dealing with them. Otherwise, they'll continue to multiply 
and in the event of a war, they might ally themselves with our enemies, fight against us, and leave the land altogether. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built for Pharaoh the stored cities of Pitom and Ramses. Though a little rocky in the beginning, Moshe and Aaron persevered, and Pharaoh released Israel from slavery into freedom. The promised land and, and national success looked to be just around the corner. In fact, this was a two-week journey from Egypt to the promised land. Israel had just been freed through a miracle-working Moshe. They had a plan. They enjoyed great organization. They had received a vision clearly stated by God and reiterated by Moshe, and they had agreed to a sharply defined goal. Nothing could derail them, right? The hand of God is upon them. <laughs> Wrong. Israel soon lost sight of the vision. When Moshe took a little too long up on Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, which is Israel's constitution. Remember, Israel is the only nation on earth whose culture, identity, and government is defined by a relationship with God. Moshe's up on that mountain a little too long, and they don't know what's come of him. He's receiving the Torah, Israel's constitution for the nation, the Ten Commandments. They fashioned a golden calf. Aaron crafted this. And, and they say these words, here's the God who led you out of Egypt. They, they make this pagan idol, this golden calf, and they begin to worship it. Then the, when the journey grew long and uncomfortable, they began to whine, they grumbled, they complained. More than once, they revolted against Moshe's leadership, even his sister and his brother. This two-week trip through the desert ultimately took more than four decades, 40 years. The book of Exodus records how God's people failed to, uh, to cooperate they doubted the vision that God gave to Moshe. They disobeyed the rules. They disobeyed Torah. They worshiped material things. They got involved in idolatry. They forgot the goals, and they soured on their leader, all of which delayed their dream 40 years. And in fact, it would cost an entire generation to perish in the desert and not see the promised land. Not only did the people doubt Moshe's leadership, they also doubted God. We can learn a great deal from the accounts here in Exodus as we prepare to come into Passover of the leadership skills of Moshe. And listen, you'd have to be blind to miss it here. Adonai's leadership is all throughout this book. He's there all the time. He's panim ha-panim. He's talking face-to-face -face with Moshe. He's teaching him. He's training him. He's mentoring him. He's guiding him. He's giving him advice, all to be raised up to be the godly leader of Israel. Adonai dispensed multitudes of signs and wonders to give everyone a reason to follow, trust, and obey in what Moshe and Aaron did with the staff. We had the ten plagues, the blood, the frogs, the lice or vermin, the wild beasts, the flies, the cattle blight, the disease, the boils, hail, locusts, number ten, darkness, and lastly, ten, the slaying of the firstborn. He then, after this, Pharaoh releases us. We leave in the middle of the night. He directs the nation's path through the desert across the Red Sea. And, uh, and once again, Moshe raises his staff, and on the 11th supernatural, divine outpouring of God's sovereign spirit, the Red Sea, the Sea of Suf parts, we cross over on dry land, and the water then swarms upon and destroys Pharaoh's army. God was with us during that 40 years of wandering, visually reminding the people, telling them of his manifest presence and power through this what appeared to be a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they ate fresh manna from heaven every morning for six days a week. And on the sixth day, they got a double portion to sustain them through Shabbat. Yet all of this never quite seems to be enough for the people of Israel. This entire time, they grumbled, they complained, they doubted. We've got the rebellion of Korach, 
Um, They delayed. They defied and rebelled against Moshe. This was often a huge disappointment for one of the greatest biblical leaders of all time, one of the greatest prophets of all time, Moshe. So let's go over some lessons of biblical leadership we see regarding Moshe. First of all, leaders are raised over time and experience. There's no shortcuts. I've said that several times in the last year of us doing these Kadima talks. It takes time to grow and prepare to raise up a solid, mature leader. 80 years for Moshe. Joshua was a loyal number two for 40 years. Anyone who's placed into a significant leadership position for the first time, you're going to go through an adjustment phase, a period of settling. You're still who you are. You're a person of interests, dreams, and desires, even though you're serving Adonai. Leadership skills are developed over time through experience, through training, through a process of maturing, even through failures and setbacks, which we learn to fail forward on and learn from these things. But through all this experience and training and a process of maturing, the level you're at now prepares you for the next level. So remember, Moses, 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh, 40 years then in the wilderness, which prepared him to go to the next level and lead a nation to the promised land. In leadership, there's no 90 or 180-day wonders. In our ATM internet nanosecond instant Wi-Fi life we live today, we develop dangerous and false expectations of immediate results. And this is critical here, which, again, I've been sharing through all of these teachings. Developing leadership skills isn't that way. It's a process that develops over years of developing your honor, your character, your integrity into a leader. This is a step-by-step process, and there will be many difficulties, and it's a steep learning curve, but it takes time. You must be patient. I know as a young person, I myself was like, man, I'm ready to do this. At 40, I thought I had it all in a bag. Now, at my, uh, after having done this for 21 years, I know that I'm just beginning to learn what it takes to do what God wants me to do. It takes time. To be a biblical leader means planning. You've got to plan your work and work your plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead only to abundance, but all who rush in arrive only at one. So you've got to think through a plan. We even here in the congregation, we work through a six-month, a one-year plan. We've got a three- to four-year plan. We're always purchasing and developing and looking to the future of where we will be at then, not staying static and only worried about today. To be a biblical leader, you should never do anything all alone. Proverbs 11, verse 14 says, Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. You have to learn to delegate. Don't perform actions or tasks that someone else can do. You'll get burned out otherwise. And as uh, Exodus 18 reveals in verse 17, Moshe's father-in-law said to him, what you're doing isn't good. Moshe was spending every waking hour judging and adjudicating disputes among the entire nation of Israel. Verse 18, he said, you will certainly wear yourself out, and not only yourself, but these people here with you as well. It's too much for you. You can't do it alone by yourself. He said, so listen now what I have to say in verse 19. I'll give you some advice, and God will be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases to God. Verse 20, you should also teach them the laws and the teachings and show them how to live their lives and what work they should do. Verse 21, but you should choose from among all the people competent men who are God-fearing, honest, and incorruptible to be their leaders in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. This way, only the hardest cases would be brought to Moshe, and at the lowest level possible, disputes would be adjudicated. And there's a key here. Uh, 
he says, teach the people all the laws. See, at this time, pretty much only Moshe and Aaron knew all the laws, the Torah, and uh, probably number two was was uh, Yehoshua, Joshua. But if you train the people and teach them how to live, you'll cut these disputes in half. So there's something about, we would call this today, discipleship, learning to be a Talmudim. But it's important to train and teach the people, and that makes less of a workload for you as a leader. And you got to understand, people are always going to let you down. The only one that doesn't is Adonai. But if you look for solid, good quality congregation, raise them up, train them, mentor them, discipleship them, you'll have strong, loyal teams just like Moses did and spread the wealth. Next, a biblical leader must be prepared for things to go wrong. In Psalms 34, verses 17 through 19, the righteous cry out, and Adonai heard, and he saved them from all their troubles. Adonai is near those with broken hearts. He saved those whose spirit is crushed. The righteous person suffers many evils, but Adonai rescues him out of them all. Things are going to go south. They're going to go sour. I mean, look at Moshe. We just talked about the golden calf incident. He's having this divine, supernatural encounter with God who's speaking with him face-to-face on the mountain. I'm sure this is one of the most pinnacle, memorable times in Moshe's life. In this entire journey with Adonai, here he is with God, his friend, who's teaching him up in the kavod, uh, the, the presence of God up in the mountain. But on the way down, they hear these voices and shouting, and Joshua says, is that a war or something? And uh, and Moses says, no, it, it's revelry. And he comes down to the scene of this debauchery of, of what was happening with his golden calf worship with sexual immorality and partying, and uh, what a disappointment. In fact, God says, I'm going to just slay them all and wipe them all out. And, and Moses, in an incredible act of leadership, says, you know, hey, your name will be sullied among the nations. He's like, take my name out of the book. And, and the Lord says, no, those who sinned will I blot out of the book of life. And so there was punishment, but it wasn't destruction for the entire nation of Israel because a good leader interceded on behalf of his nation. you got to be prepared because things will go wrong. Next, biblical leaders must continually remind themselves and others of past successes. After 40 years of wandering, Moshe reminded Israel of what Adonai had done for them And he did this. Now, Deuteronomy is three teachings of Moses given to Israel just before they enter into the promised land. And so this is a time, maybe it's just a month or two, but they're camped on the Jordan. And when Deuteronomy is over, Moshe will be gone. Joshua will be raised up as a leader, and they will enter into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 1, starting at verse 30, he's reminding them that Adonai, your God, is going ahead of you will fight on your behalf just as he accomplished all those things for you in Egypt before your eyes. And likewise in the desert where you saw how Adonai your God carried you like a man carries his child along the entire way you traveled until you arrived at this place. By doing this, it encourages people to move forward. It reminds us of what Adonai has done for us in the past and and gives us more trust and confidence to move forward, especially into the unknown. We're not sure what's going to happen the other side of that, Jordan, but we know that the Lord is with us, and if he be for us, who could be against us? And you have to keep this in mind because every leader, every congregation, every business, as you expand and and you do more for the kingdom, you go into uncharted territory where you're not sure exactly how to go. But if your eyes are upon the Lord and you focus upon him, he will guide you every step of the way. Scriptural biblical leaders must repeatedly share and reiterate the vision. This is so critical. 
Proverbs 29, verse 18, without a prophetic vision, the people throw off all restraint, but he who keeps the Torah is happy. There's got to be a clear vision. Why are you doing what you're doing? Spiritual mapping of how you got to where you're at and why. Your regional history opens up the doors to the future. Here at Jamestown, we've spent a lot of time researching the history, redigging uh, those ancient wells of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've learned the true history of what went on here and of that release of that supernatural prayer at Jamestown that they prayed twice a day for almost 90 years. The Jew and Gentile would be reconciled together as one, that the days of iniquity would come to an end and God's glory be revealed in all the earth. Listen, that's the, that's the very DNA of our national identity. And yet very few people know it. Why? Because it's not been taught. It's not been released. So we've got to recast that vision. And that vision uh, tells you how you're going to move forward and why. It, it, it relates to you and contributes to God's purposes upon the earth. These questions must be answered in the heart of every leader according to God's timeline. There can only be one vision. More than one vision is division. Listen, if you're a business leader, you've got to hone what it is that you're going to do and nail it. If, if, you know, if you're going to make milkshakes, then you want to be the best milkshake maker in the world. That's your focus. If you're going to be a congregation leader, you want to have the healthiest, strongest congregation in the world. And you want to do it to honor and glorify God because we do all things as if we're working directly for him because we are. So there can only be one vision. More than one vision is division. I've repeatedly shared this over the years. You can't have four or five visions in a congregation. As a congregation leader, your vision has to be the board's vision. It has to be the congregation's vision. You can't have a congregational vision, a board vision, uh, a different visions and different uh, staff members of the, of the ministry. Everyone's got to be on the same bandwagon with you, behind you, moving forward. I've repeatedly shared this as well over the years. What did God tell you? And what did he share with you? I've had many, many leaders come to me over the years and describe with me supernatural dreams and visions that they've received from God. And every one of them, I know for a fact that God spoke to them. But it always fascinates me that they don't keep true to the vision. And years later, when they start doing whatever God told them to do, they stray from that vision, and almost invariably, every time it fails. Why is that? Because they're doing their own skill sets, knowledge, and reasoning by doing what God said to do. We've even done it here in the last 20 years. I, I catch myself wandering off the path of what God directed me and called me to do, and it's always a reset to get back. What's the vision? And so what was the vision with Moshe? It was to go in, redeem the people, and take them to the promised land. But the minute they don't keep to the vision, the minute the people don't trust God, the minute they don't trust Moshe, things go south. The next thing you know, a two-week journey takes what? Yeah, 40 years. Did the vision come to pass? It sure did. But I don't want to wait another 40 years to come to the fullness of what God has called me to do. I want to keep to the vision, be clear, Kadima, move forward, and do exactly what he told me to do. You've got to remain true and loyal to the vision. The vision must be repeatedly shared and discussed so everyone is aware of what it is. You know, Moshe was the least among them, the least expected leader. In Exodus 11, verse 3, Adonai made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. Moreover, Moshe was regarded by Pharaoh's servants and the people as a very great man in the land of Egypt. Remember, he's got a reputation. They know who he is. He fled because of the uh, Egyptian guard that he murdered, but when he comes back, he's, he's still well-received by both the people of Israel and in Pharaoh's courts among his servants. 
So what word come to mind when you think of great leaders? And, you know, over the past, you, you think about the Ronald Reagans. What was he, the great communicator? And how about uh, President Lincoln, who was the great emancipator? Come on. And uh, how about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, who was the rough riders? You know, you think of him as a hunter, as a warrior, and he was a go-getter. He, he, he broke down the big uh, monopolies of this uh, nation at that time. Uh, he came against the ogliarchs of America. And so when we tend to think of the, we think of powerful uh, people who were aggressive and, and did what was right. But what comes to mind with Moshe? Humble. And, and all those, and, and you can probably list off your own heroes and leaders, but humble isn't a term we usually uh, associate with great leaders. It's generally not at the top of your list. Yet that's how Adonai chose to describe Moshe. In Numbers 12, verse 3, he says, This man, Moshe, was very humble, more so than anyone on earth. And, and so why was he humble? Well, because he had a teachable spirit. He knew he had some kind of a speech impediment. He trusted wholeheartedly on God. And, uh, you know, he had other reasons to be humble. He wasn't, listen to me, he wasn't a natural-born leader. Nothing in Scripture indicates that he attracted or led anyone during this 80 years of preparation to redeem Israel from slavery in Egypt. Acts 7, verse 22 says, So Moshe was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became both a powerful speaker and a man of action. But there's no record of any, nothing in the scripture, of any significant accomplishment during that first 40 years of being in Egypt and then the 40 years of being in the wilderness he was being trained up in Pharaoh's court. So, you know, that first 40 years, he's learning diplomacy. He's learning how to run a state. He's, he's given some leadership skill sets. But Scripture records his first attempt, this is Moshe now, at exerting his fluence, influence to do something for his people that resulted in the murder of an Egyptian. I've mentioned this several times in his flight from the country. In Exodus 2, starting at verse 11, it says, One day when Moshe was a grown man, he went out to visit his kinsmen. Now, you know, I, I want to stop here because one of my favorite movies is, of course, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner. And, man, I just, every time this year, I love to watch this. Uh, but in the movie, they portray that he's raised, uh, you know, like uh, Esther in the Purim story, that he doesn't know who he is. His, his identity is unknown to him. But Scripture clearly records he knows where he came from. And so he goes out to visit his own people, and he watched them struggling at forced labor. He saw an Egyptian strike a Hebrew, one of his kinsmen. Verse 12 says he looked this way and that, and when he saw that no one was around, he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Verse 13, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrew men fighting with each other. And to the one in the wrong, he said, why are you hitting your companion? And verse 14, the man retorted, who appointed you ruler and judge over us? You intend to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? Moshe became frightened. Clearly, he thought the matter has become known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he tried to have Moshe put to death. But Moshe fled from Pharaoh to live in the land of Midian. And one day, he was sitting by a well, and this is how he met Jethro and his wife. And, and so, you know, this fascinates me. Because here we have one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest leaders in Scripture. But his first attempt at leadership results in murder. And to put this in perspective, Moshe was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian guard. We've got another one from the New Testament, from the Brehadashah. We've got Shaul, Paul, 
who started out persecuting the Messianic believers, not Christians, not the church, none of that exists at that time. He's, he's only got letters from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin only has authority over Jewish people. And he's going through, and they're stoning believers to death. He's there when Stephen stoned. They, they lay Stephen's clothes at his feet. Paul, Shaul, was a murderer. Yet God has a divine encounter with him, the road to Damascus encounter, just as God had an encounter with Moshe, also a murderer, at the Mount Sinai burning bush incident. And so this is critical to know that God uses whomever he chooses. I struggled with him in my early days. Knowing my background and who I was, I wasn't born and raised in the kingdom. You know, I wasn't saved at six and filled with the Holy Spirit at seven and preaching at eight. That's not me. I spent 22 years in the Navy. I come from a construction background, and I spent more than my share of time in the world doing the things of the world. And so when I had my own encounter with God, and he began telling me what to do and gave me the vision, uh, I had a hard time overcoming my background and had often a conversation with the Lord, you, you, you can't possibly mean me. You know who I am. Yet this puts us in perspective. He used murderers as the greatest leaders in Scripture. I haven't done anything close to that. And so what that is is even almost a sense of pride in my past. I had to release all that and trust in the Lord. He knows what he's doing. He called me. He can call you. He can call anybody. The next 40 years Moshe spent in exile in a desert of Midian, a time, and we're talking about Moshe, you know, in 80 years, nothing significant. So here we have the first 40 years results, and he tries to exert himself, tries to address maybe a little leadership here as a leader, and uh, someone is murdered, and he flees the country. The next 40 years spent in exile in the desert of Midian. This 40 years is so uneventful that the Scripture sums it up in three verses in Exodus 2, verses 21 through 23. Moshe was glad to stay on with the man, and he gave Moshe his daughter Zipporah in marriage. She gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, a foreigner there, for he said, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. And sometime during those many years, the king of Egypt died, but the people of Israel still groaned under the yoke of slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. That's it. Three verses for 40 years in the desert. From this, we go right into the burning bush encounter, and uh, the Pesach story unfolds. So we've got a very unassuming person who has been trained, mentored for 80 years for a very specific time and purpose to be used by God. You don't have to be a natural born. As a matter of fact, I don't believe there are nat- Some people have more skills than others. But leadership is something that's trained. Remember I talked about this with character. You can't choose your eye color, your skin color, your hair color. But character, integrity, honor, leadership traits are skill sets that you can adapt and learn and train yourself to be a solid person in the kingdom of God, to lead people to their destinies. You don't have to be a natural-born leader to become a great leader. Moshe was very unassuming in his birth in a wicker basket you know, brought into Pharaoh's house. 80 years of nothing remarkable happening in his life. And then one day, one day there's a burning bush and history's changed forever. All you need to do is have a heart for God and have a teachable spirit. That's how you become a leader in the kingdom. Most of the great leaders in Scripture were raised up, not born that way. And here's the good news for you today as we're coming into the Passover season. Adonai is still raising up leaders today, just like you, just like Moshe, just like Shaul. Moses was the man of calm in the midst of crisis. And, and why do you think that is? Well, look at these experiences we've just talked about. 
although those 80 years were relatively insignificant as far as leadership was, he'd had many adversities and encounters that he'd overcome both in the house of Pharaoh and in the wilderness. It's a true story for us today. In Exodus 14, verses 1 through 28, the Lord said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel to turn around and set up camp in front of Pahacharot, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, camp opposite and by the sea. Verse 3, then Pharaoh will say that the people of Israel are wandering aimlessly in the countryside and the desert has closed in on them. So now this is after the 10 plagues. We've departed Egypt and the Lord's telling Moses where to camp and where to establish Israel. So they're right next to the Sea of Suf. Verse 4 says, I will make Pharaoh so hard-hearted that he will pursue them. Thus, I will win glory for myself at the expense of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will realize at last that I am Adonai. The people did as ordered. So let's pause here for a second. God's revealing the plan. He said, hey, Pharaoh's coming. I want you to camp right here. And they're going to think that you're wandering out here aimlessly. And I'm going to make this guy, this Pharaoh, so hard-hearted that he's going to pursue you but I'm going to obliterate him. And why am I doing this? Because I will win glory for myself at the expense of Pharaoh. I will destroy the superpower army. And the, the Egyptians, Misraim, they will realize at last that I am God. God's got a plan and a purpose here. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, just like God said they would. They said, what have we done, letting Israel stop being our slaves? Verse 6, so he prepared his chariots, and he took his people with him. Verse 7, he took 600 first-quality chariots. This is a modern-day battle group. This is the aircraft carrier. This is the M1 Abrams tank. You know, this is, this is the best of the best back then. These are land cruisers. Very few things could come against a chariot. So he took 600 first-quality chariots, as well as all other chariots in Egypt, along with their commanders. Verse 8, Adonai made Pharaoh hard-hearted, and he pursued the people of Israel as they left boldly. The Egyptians went after them, verse 9, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh with his cavalry and army, and he overtook them as they encamped by the sea by Pi-Hacharot in front of baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, verse 10, the people of Israel looked up, saw the Egyptians right there coming after them, and in great fear, the people of Israel cried out to Adonai and to Moses. Was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die in the desert? What have you done this? Why have you done this to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we tell you in Egypt to let us alone and we'll just go on being slaves for the Egyptians? It would be better for us to be the Egyptian slaves than to die in the desert. Wow, come on. They had just seen the 10 plagues. They had just seen the death of the firstborn. They had departed in the middle of the night with Moses' sister, Miriam, with a tambourine dancing, right? And so she's in her 90s, probably. She's his older sister. Moses is 80 when this is happening. And yet here they are. And God told them ahead of time, I'm going to do this. And yet they panic. They freeze in terror. And they cry out, why, why have you done this? It would have been better to die as a slave than to die out here in the desert. Man. Verse 13, Moshe answered the people. Stop being so fearful. Remain steady, and you will see how Adonai is going to save you. He will do it today. Today you have seen the Egyptians, but you will never see them again. Adonai will do battle for you. Just calm yourselves down. Verse 15, Adonai asked Moshe, Why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Kadima, lift your staff, reach out with your hand over the sea, and divide it in two. 
the people of Israel will advance into the sea on dry ground. As for me, I will make the Egyptians hard-hearted, and they will march in after them. Thus I will win glory for myself at the expense of Pharaoh and all his army, chariots, and cavalry. Second time the Lord has said this. And when the Egyptians will realize that I am Adonai, when I have won myself glory at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. Next, the angel of God. This is, wow, this is so powerful. The angel of God, who was going ahead of the camp of Israel, moved away and went behind them. And the column of cloud moved away from in front of them and stood behind them. It stationed itself between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was cloud and darkness there, but uh, light by night there, so that not one did not come near the other all night long. Verse 21, Moshe reached his hand out over the sea, and Adonai caused the sea to go back before a strong east wind all night. He made the sea become dry land, and its water was divided in two. Then the people of Israel went under the sea on the dry ground with the water walled up for them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians continued their pursuit, going after them into the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry. And just before dawn, and again, see, catch this, the, the movie, we see this and the wind's blowing and the sun's, this happened at night. This happened at night. Just before dawn, Adonai looked out on the Egyptian army through the column of fire and cloud and threw them into the panic. He caused the wheels, verse 25, of the chariots to break off so that they could move only with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Adonai is fighting for Israel against the Egyptians. Let's get away from them. Verse 26, Adonai said to Moshe, reach your hand out over the sea and the water will return and cover the Egyptians with their chariots and cavalry. Moshe reached his hand out over the sea and by dawn, the sea had returned to its former death. The Egyptians tried to flee, but Adonai swept them into the sea. The water came back and covered all the chariots and cavalry of Pharaoh's army who had followed them into the sea. Not even one of them was left. The approach and appearance of Pharaoh's army and chariots had thrown Israel into a frenzied panic. In great fear, they doubted. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord, verse 10. Verse 11, it said to Moshe, was it because there weren't enough grave? This is a common phrase that we hear through this 40 years of wander, this lack of trust from this generation which would perish in the desert. Was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die in the desert? Why have you done this to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we tell you in Egypt to let us alone? We'll just go on being slaves for the Egyptians. It would be better for us to be the Egyptian slaves than to die in the desert. Listen, these incidences put extreme pressure on Moshe, who had to do crisis management. But in the midst of this, Moshe didn't panic, since he had seen the deutimous power of God's work. He had experienced the power. He carried the staff. Vice growing into fear and panic, he exuded confidence and trust, poise and shalom, which gave him great credibility as a leader among his people. Through this one incident, he became the nation's go-to guy. What were the actions that gave him this credibility? Well, first, let's look at this. In this situation, he projected calm instead of panic in the great face of adversity. Moshe, he answered the people. He didn't pray. When the people started this, he said, he just turned to them and he addressed them, stop being so fearful. Remain steady and you will see how Adonai is going to save you. He will do it today. He says, stop your crying, stop your whining. Number two, he, he projects confidence and trust, vice weakness, fear, and timidity. I talked a number of these ago about being able to make a decision. So many leaders can see the target, but they're not able to pull the trigger when, it, when it's time to make the move. He knew. The Lord spoke to him and said, let's raise up the staff, split the sea. He projects confidence and trust in the face of weakness and fear and timidity. 
He said, Adonai will do battle for you, verse 14. Just calm yourselves down. Moshe answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Today. Three, he projected, remember we talked a little bit ago about vision. He projected a clear vision, a plan of protection and deliverance, vice confusion. Adonai asked Moshe, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel, Kadima, go forward in Exodus 14, verse 15. And so there's a clear vision of what to do. Moses has that vision. Number four, Moshe worked in Adonai's power in that deutimous miracle-working power that caused the sea to split in half. Defeat wasn't on Moshe's mind because God had already told him he was going to do this. Moshe, re- and listen, I want to pause right here, and, and I want you to ponder this. In this time age where we're in, there's, there's great anxiety. There's a lot of confusion. It, it appears like the Republic of America is done. It's over with. There, there's this one world order starting to unfold before our very eyes. Listen, uh, you know, I, I'm going to talk about this at our Torah study this evening. There's seven supernatural biblical plagues happening in the world today beyond this COVID stuff. We're just at the beginning of the birth pangs of the end. But you can't, listen, like God did with Moshe, like Adonai did to Israel, he's told us already what he's going to do. If you read Revelation, if you read Ezekiel, if you read Zechariah, if you read Yeshua's uh, own words in Matthew 23 and 24, Luke 21, we know this is coming. I'm astounded to see believers fearful, timid, anxious, not knowing what's happening, uh, you know, willing to submit to whatever people tell them to do in the name of what safety is for your own good, do these things. When God told us ahead of time he was going to do this, we ourselves have to start working in the deutimous miracle power of Adonai and start moving forward in what God has called us to do and not react in fear and in panic. Moshe himself, he did the same. He worked in this deutimous power. He caused the sea to part, defeat not on his radar. Moshe reached his hand out over the sea, and Adonai caused the sea to go back before a strong east wind all night. He made the seabed become dry land, and its water was divided in two. Verse 22, then the people of Israel ran into the sea and the dry ground with the water piled high on either side of them. Listen, everything revealed about Moses is available to us today. We have a great mentor. We have a great person to follow here because he was calm and confident in the midst of crisis, in the midst of a national crisis. We just thank you. Thank you, Moses, for giving us this example. We thank you, Yeshua, that by your death as a Passover lamb, we're reconciled back unto you, that through the blood of Yeshua, we have now been given the miracle-working deutimous power in the Holy Spirit to do even greater works than these that we've just shared in this Kadima talk. I pray that you look at this Passover season through awakened and new eyes and see the power of God at work here and God's clear leadership plan, his mentorship, his training, his guidance upon Moses, which is available to each and every one of us. If we have an open heart and if we seek him, if we ask him, we shall receive. Hag Sameach Mishpacha. I hope you have a supernatural Passover season. Shalom. Shalom.